Every year, the sports industry spends literally millions and millions of dollars marketing their products in the hope that by marketing their wares, you'll go out and buy it, and then by buying the sports product, equipment, shoes, the toys, you'll, pray, you'll play like maybe your favorite athlete. I mean, millions of dollars are spent this, and especially, you know, it's the Masters Week, golf. I mean, just, you would imagine the amount of marketing money that goes into this kind of thing. And, you know, what weekend duffer hasn't had the dream dangled before him by some sales associate who says, you really need to get this product because, it's, here it is, here's the line, it's what the pros are using. It's what the pros are using, right? And and, and what's the implication? Buy this, and you will play like the pros. That's all you got to do. Just buy this. Buy this club, you know, or, uh, you know, buy this ball bat, you know, and this ball mitt, and you'll just, you know, be able to play like A-Rod. Or, you know, Roger Federer, you want to play like him? You want to swing a tennis racket like him? Buy this racket. All you got to do is buy the product and you'll play like the pro. That's the way it works, you know? What if that were true? Think about that for just a minute. What if it were actually true that if if I bought this brand, I could, you know, swing that well or uh, if I if I bought that bat, I could hit the ball that far or if I had Tom Brady's helmet, I could, you know, Throw the ball like he does, or Eli Manning, shoulder pads. I could. What if I had the shoes or the cycle? What if I? What if I? What if that were actually true? And even more so than that, what if it wasn't just the brand? What if it were that particular athlete's equipment? Right? I mean, it's Tiger's clubs. It's A Rod's bat. I mean, it's this, by using their particular piece of equipment, you could perform on that professional level. I'm thinking, Gene, if I just had your, if I just had your wheelchair race, I mean, I could just go as fast, and I could go to Boston, right? You know? Of course, right? Since we're, since we're in Fantasy Island here. And that's exactly what it is, isn't it? It's just a, it's just a fan. But you know what? If it were true, if it were true, you know what I would do? If it were true that if I just had Tiger's clubs or if I had Eight Rods Bad or if I had Gene Driscoll's race, if, if, if that were true, that if by just having that particular product or piece of equipment, if it were true that if I had that piece of equipment that I could perform at that level, you know what would happen to me? I would do that all day long. That's what I would do. I would quit the ministry. And I would just, I would, oh, and you wouldn't. <laughs> You probably wouldn't. I'm the I'm a sinner. <laughs> but I mean, I would. I would do that all day long. If I, just, if I could just put on Andrew's flight suit and could fly a helicopter, <laughs> that is cool. I mean, that would be cool if I could just put on the uniform and then I could just do that. You know, that's a dream. That's not going to happen. You know that. I know that. Why am I mentioning that? 
because it is just this claim, just this promise, just this declaration that the Apostle Paul makes in the New Testament book of Ephesians chapter 6 when he says, if you will wear what belongs to God, you will in fact be able to be like God and perform like God and serve like God and take your stand against Satan like God. When you wear what belongs to God, you'll become more and more like God. I think this is the whole point of the armor of God section in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 20. If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn there. Now, the Apostle Paul closes this fantastic letter to Christians in Ephesus. And he's using military image, of course. Why? Because he's in prison. He's under house arrest. He is chained to a Roman guard. He's staring at that fully uniformed Roman guard. He's there for two years in the city of Rome. And he's telling the Ephesian Christians that this new community which God has created, this new race in Christ, this new race in Christ, this new race which which brings in every race and every tribe on the face of this earth, and because of Jesus, brings in one new race, one new humanity. This is under attack, and we need to be aware that God's plans have enemies, and that enemy is real, and his name is Satan, and we must stand against Satan's schemes. Chapter 6, verse 13 says, Put on the full armor of God. That's God's own armor. Not just a warehouse of armor on a shelf. It's his. The equipment he himself used. Put that on. Wear that. Wear that so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. Three times in verses 13 and 14, Paul says, stand Stand, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. And today, I want to talk about this second piece of equipment, the breastplate of righteousness. The breastplate of righteousness. And with the breastplate of righteousness in place. And I want to answer two questions this morning. First, what is it? What is the breastplate of righteousness? What, what is Paul talking about? Because this is a metaphor, And so let's unpack it, and let's figure it out. What is it? And then secondly, what does it do? What does it do? What's its purpose? What's its function? The first question is, what is it? What is the breastplate of righteousness? Well, we know what the the function of the, 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 the breastplate is in the Roman military legion. I mean, that's a no brainer, right? The function, the purpose, what the definition of that breastplate, that breastplate guarded the vital organs of the soldier, the heart, the lungs, uh, uh, the, the, the internal organs. To go in battle without a breastplate was in fact a death wish because in the first century in the Roman legions, they didn't have their enemies on radar. They had their enemies eye to eye. 
You see your enemy. And that Roman soldier, typically the tactic was, in mass, they hurl two javelins at their enemy, and then they pull their sword, and they're ready to take combat with their enemy, looking that enemy right in the eye. And if you don't have a breastplate on to protect your vital organs, it's a death wish. It's a death wish. The purpose, the, 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 the meaning behind the breastplate was to protect the inner organs, to protect the inner organs, and then to project, this is good, to project an intimidating presence toward the enemy. Remember, we're talking about Roman legions. We're not talking about soldiers that are going out one at a time. <laughs> Just send one soldier out one at a time to do the battle. That's not how it works. That's not how you win. You go in mass. And so the, 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 just the appearance, the visual appearance of thousands of fully uniformed, fully armed Roman soldiers with the sunlight gleaming off of those metal plates which covered both the front and the back was a very visually intimidating sight. It was to protect the inner heart and it was to project, project that, in fact, the emperor did reign in this territory. And we're going to take this territory because the emperor is in charge And the soldiers are willing to die on behalf of their emperor. That was the meaning. That's what it is in terms of the Roman breastplate. And that's exactly where the Roman history lesson ends here. Right here. You see, the Apostle Paul, when he uses this phrase, the breastplate of righteousness, oh yeah, he's looking at a Roman soldier all right. But he's thinking of something else. In his mind, the Apostle Paul is thinking of Isaiah chapter 59, verse 17. Isaiah 59, 17 says that he put on righteousness as his breastplate. Who is he? Who is he? God. You see the difference? In the Roman legion, those soldiers suited up to fight on behalf of their emperor. In Isaiah chapter 59, Isaiah speaks of the emperor who shows up to fight on behalf of his soldiers. He fights on behalf of his people. God himself shows up. Isaiah 59 talks about how God's people were imploding because of sin. Isaiah 59 talks about how there was no one else to help God's people. You never find in sin what you go in sin to find. And now they're stuck. And now they're in need. And now they're helpless. And God shows up and he says, Some, they're my people. Somebody needs to do something. I'm going to do something. And so Isaiah 59 says, he put on righteousness as his breastplate, the helmet of salvation on his head. He put on the garments of vengeance. God is going to fight on behalf of his people. And church family, what you need to know when you read in the Bible, whenever God puts on clothes, you know why he puts on clothes? He puts on clothes because he wants to be seen. He's going to be visible. He's not some distant deity. He is present and he's active and he's going to do for his people what they are unable to do for themselves. And what is that? Righteousness. Righteousness. You see, the fact of the matter is we don't do righteousness very well. Now you say, well, wait a minute. I'm a pretty good person. You know, I, 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 you know, I pay my taxes. You know, 
I, I know that. And, and that's good enough for the Kiwanis and the Rotary. That's good. That's not what we're talking about. See, it's, it's one thing to shoot par at the blue course. It's another thing to play golf well with excellence in the fourth round of the Masters. It's one thing to play a neat round of ball at the backstops at Westview Elementary. It's another thing to play in the major leagues. It's one thing to show up for a neat preschool end-of-year program and hear the kiddies sing. It's another thing. It's another thing to sing at the Met. See, it's one thing. And when we're talking about righteousness on God's level, we're talking about elite-level righteousness. We're talking about zero-tolerance righteousness. And we kind of know a little bit about what that's about. We do. Uh, You come to the starting point class next month. I'm going to show you a slide. It's going to be this slide right here. That's all we do around here at Windsor Road is just talk about sports and military, by the way. I just, uh, you know, just thought you might want to know that if this is your first Sunday here. We're just a bunch of, you know, we're just a bunch of gearheads and sports jocks and military guys. Okay, is that, are you okay with that? Anyway, I, I show this, and you, you all know what this, who doesn't know what this picture is? Of course you know what this picture is. This is... This is the last play of one of our Super Bowls, right? And the guy fell a half a yard short, okay? Would have been, the, the, would have been the, the, the game winner right there, but he fell short, 18 inches. So they gave it to him anyway, right? No, you know that didn't happen. That, that, that wouldn't happen in high school. wouldn't happen in flag football. Parents would become unglued. There would be insurrection. Rioting would take place, okay? Absolutely, yeah. No, no. He may as well have been one, see, he may as well have been 99 yards short as to be a half a yard short. Romans 3.23 says, for all have sinned and fallen short. He's not righteous. Why? Because he fell short. That's why. See, righteousness would have been scoring. Righteousness is winning the masters. Righteousness is batting a thousand for a lifetime. Righteousness is absolute and complete, is doing right all the time. We don't do right all the time. That's a problem. That's a big problem. So what does God do? He sees this problem that's going on in our lives and in our hearts. He sees us helpless, and he suits up. That's what he does. And this breastplate of righteousness was ultimately the armor of human flesh, where God shows up in human flesh, and he does for us what we are unable to do by ourselves, and that's why 1 John chapter 2, verse 1 says, My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. And then, then John says this, But if anyone does sin, stop right there. The way that is written, it is to be interpreted this way. But if anyone does sin, and we all do, and we all do. If anyone does sin, if we do sin, we sin. We have all fallen short. We've sinned. John says, we have an advocate with the Father. And notice, John says, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. The righteous one. See, we fall short, but Jesus never did. Jesus never did fall short. He even asked his enemies, what, tell me what sin I've done. They couldn't answer. They couldn't respond because he never did sin. 
He was righteous all the time. He spoke righteously. He thought righteously. He performed righteous acts all, all the days of his life, always. And what happened? For that, he was executed on a Roman cross. And why? Because God is righteous. That's why. You see, he's not going to push our disobedience underneath. That's got to be dealt with. And the Bible says that the Lord laid upon him, that's Jesus, the iniquity of us all. So on the cross, this divine swap takes place. I get the righteousness of Christ. I get the breastplate of righteousness. Jesus gets the breastplate of my disobedience. You say, that's not fair. No, it's not. It's grace. Grace. G-R-A-C-E. God's riches at Christ's expense. And Paul talks about that in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. So when we come together here in this room and we worship, we're not sticking our chests out because of what we've done. What we wear on our chests is Christ's righteousness, and we make much of him because of who he is and what he's done. The breastplate of righteousness is Christ's righteousness. That's what it is. Okay? Well, let's talk about what it does. What does the breastplate of righteousness do? The breastplate of righteousness. The breastplate of righteousness protects, and the breastplate of righteousness projects. It protects and then it projects. Remember that were those Roman legions? Remember why they wore the breastplate? They wore that breastplate to what? To protect the vital organs, the vital organs of the inside. And those vital organs, the heart, the lungs, the abdomen, the guts, those vital organs, the ancients, including writers in the Bible like Paul, believed that your deepest feelings and emotions and affections resided right here, right here. That's why Paul would say in Philippians 1.8, just down here at the bottom, I long for all of you with the affection. That's literally the word splanknon. That means my gut. Huh? With the, I, I long for you with the gut of Jesus Christ. Uh, you say, that's, wow, a guy would say that. Well, yeah, but I mean, we're talking about the affection, the internal organs, the seat of your emotions. And that needs to be protected, church family. You remember how Andrew talked about just, to, okay, he made, he, made a, he made a mistake on the toggle switch, all right? going to rip off his wings and turn it in? No, 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 that's not going to happen. But that's exactly what Satan wants. That's exactly what he wants. So he says to you, okay, well, you're, if you're a real Christian, well, I mean, you're going through this season of, of, of just feeling gray. If you belong to Christ, there are going to be seasons 
when you just feel like you are a Super Bowl champion. You feel like you are a conqueror. You are, that you're going to be seasons where Christianity feels easy. It feels easy to love God. It feels easy to love others. It just, there's just, wow, you're just in this bliss. There are going to be seasons like that. Absolutely. Thank God for them. And there are also going to be seasons in Christ where it kind of feels like today. It's April. Why was it snowing? What is all this about? I don't get it. I don't get it. I talked to my mom this morning, and then we spoke a little bit, and then I drove, and it was snowing. And I said, I've got to tell her this, because she, when she hears this, she will say, well, that's one more reason I'm not going to be moving up here to live with you. It's gray. It's snowing. You know, it's just, when will spring really come? I mean, you know, and he says, wait a minute. I mean, if you were a real Christian, you wouldn't, you wouldn't think that. If you were a real Christian, you know, Real Christians don't get down or down under. Or If you were a real Christian, you wouldn't need counseling. If you were a real Christian, you wouldn't need the medication. If you were a real Christian, you know, what does Satan know about being a real Christian anyway? Well, what's he know? Jesus says everything that comes out of Satan's mouth is a lie. That's his native language. So when he speaks, he speaks his lies, his native tongue. So what does he know about that? Listen. You open your Bible and you read about Bible heroes who they experienced seasons of darkness and depression. You can't find an emotion that you can't. When you read the Psalms, you will find all the emotions there are to find. Blissful joy, deep, dark depression. The prophet Elijah in 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 4. After a victory... He was down under. He said, I've had enough, Lord. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. That was after a victory. And Jesus himself, the night before he was crucified, Jesus himself said to his disciples, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. My soul, well, if you were really the Messiah, you wouldn't feel that way. Really? But how does Satan know that? He doesn't know that. He doesn't. And Satan will try to get you to think that he's going to bring up the past. He's going to bring up shame. He's going to bring up baggage. He's going to bring up guilt. Now, if you do not have the righteousness of Christ strapped on, well, that's a death wish. That's a death wish. And I think that's what the Apostle Paul is encouraging the Ephesians in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 16 to 19. He says, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. That's going to protect your heart. It's going to protect your, your, the seed of your emotions and affections so that Christ may dwell in your heart through faith. Now, I'm not going to let Satan be the Supreme Court. I'm not even going to let my affections or my emotions be the Supreme Court. Yes, that doesn't mean I'm going to just Ignore them altogether. They're going to be the lower courts. But the righteousness of Christ is going to be the supreme court. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints. So when I'm down, I'm not going to be by myself. I'm going to be with all of the saints. I'm going to be with all of the saints. To grasp how wide, so that together, together we can grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. 
And to know this love that surpasses knowledge so that you may be filled to the measure with all the fullness of God. Oh, you put on the breastplate of righteousness and that will guard your affections from Satan's attacks. It's there to protect you. And then, Paul says it's there to project Project his presence. Remember those Roman legions I told you? They're all together. They're uniformed. They're there to say the emperor lives. This is the emperor's territory. And so we're going to put this armor on because, you see, it's not just about protecting ourselves, but it's about projecting his presence, his presence in a world that belongs to him. And that's why Paul says in Ephesians 4.24, put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. True holiness. True holiness. I'm gonna, and that, by projecting God's presence, that's going to give me the strength to withstand Satan's temptation. And I'm thinking of Joseph in the book of Genesis, who when his boss's wife tempted him to sleep with her, what did Joseph say? Well, my dad, you know, abused me, or my brothers abused me. I grew up in this really dysfunctional background. I'm all by myself in Egypt. My family's away. I'm gonna, I, I, you know, I deserve, no, he didn't do that. What did he say to her? He said to her, how could I do this evil And sin against God. There, he named it. He labeled it. He called it what it was. And you cannot withstand temptation from Satan if you're not hungry for righteousness. True righteousness and holiness. And so, we are projecting God's presence to be like him in true righteousness. But what does that look like together as a church family? Huh? What does that look like if we are projecting true righteousness together as a church family? What does that look like? Well, here's what it doesn't look like. Here's what it doesn't look like. Look at this slide here. It doesn't look like that. All right? Now, uh, this week, I want to give you permission. No, I'm joking. Um, If you haven't seen Jerry Springer, you should watch Jerry Springer. You should watch Jerry Springer only so that you will know how God's people ought not to be. All right? There you go. You know, it's Bill. It's a, you know, it's, it's what is the slogan? Uh, the one hour of your life you'll never get back. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and typically the topics have to do with some sort of sexual deviation. Right? Ranging from adultery, uh, bestiality, uh, some transvesticism. I mean, it's just, it's just, here it is. It's dysfunctional people on a stage uh, uh, surrounded by a dysfunctional audience and led by a dysfunctional host. I mean, it's, it's wow. Uh, and they, that's entertainment in America. How not to be. How not to be. Now, now I laugh, but here's the question. Hmm? What's the difference between them there and us here? You know what the difference is? There's only, there's only one thing that keeps, there's only, there's only one thing that separates us. You know what it is? It's the breastplate of righteousness. That's what it is. See, Paul says to the Ephesians, you used to be them. You used to be them. Ephesians 5, 8, for you were once darkness. You used to be the Jerry Springer show. And if it weren't for the breastplate of Christ's righteousness, 
you'd still be the Jerry Springer show. <laughs> so we're not going to be bragging about ourselves. We're going to be putting on the breastplate of Christ's righteousness. For the fruit of light, Ephesians 5, 9, consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. Huh. See, we're going we're to project what's true because of what Jesus has done. We're going to project his presence. And with our hearts protected, with our hearts protected, projecting his presence by his power and by his strength, oh, my goodness, we become more and more like him. You, you wear what belongs to God, and you become more and more like God. You wear the breastplate of Christ's righteousness, and you become more and more like Christ. That's the message for today. Put that breastplate on. Don't ever take it off. Because you see, you know, I was telling you earlier, what if I used Tiger's equipment? What if I wore his, Tom Brady's uniform? What, you know, people would look and say, okay, okay, this, you know, there are people who are like Elvis impersonators, and they're really weird. And so for Randy to just put on this tiger stuff and act like tiger, that's, 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 that's weird. That's just weird. That's dysfunctional. You need help. Randy, please. Okay? That's wrong. But when you put on God's equipment, when you put on what belongs to God, people look and they say, there's, there's nothing dysfunctional about that. In fact, you know what they say? You were created to wear that. You were, you were made to wear that. See? See, you know clothing? Usually clothing is fit for us. This is just the opposite. We were made to wear that. See? And when we do, then, then, remember God in Isaiah 59, how God goes forth full armored to fight on behalf of his people? When we wear what belongs to God, we become more and more like God, and then we go on behalf of God to do for others what they cannot do for themselves. And now you know why there's a Dominican Republic shack out there. And now you know why we send a team down there every year. It took the missions team about three hours to build that. That is a home. That's a home where people live right now. It took them three hours to build if I had to build my house again, it'd be months, months. They did it in just a few hours. Just a few hours. My goodness. And so, on behalf of God, in the name of God, we go. And that's why we've got a Ukraine um, a trailer out there. Because we want to help those who can't help themselves. So that they will know who showed up. Who showed up? God showed up. God's alive. How do I know? I've seen his body. Where it belongs to God. And we become more and more like God. Let's pray. I'm going to bow our heads now. And um, we're going to thank God here in prayer in just a minute. For his righteousness. We can't buy it. We receive it. And we remember that righteousness. 
Christ's righteousness every time we share in communion. Every time we take the loaf and the cup, we remember that the divine swap took place. We receive Christ's righteousness. He receives our sin. And we get to know God. And that's grace. Father God in heaven, thank you so much. Thank you for your grace, your mercy. Thank you, Jesus, that you have done for us what we cannot do ourselves. Thank you for the symbol of the loaf and the cup that reminds us that you suited up and you fought for us. And now you give us your own equipment so that your presence would continue to permeate this entire globe. God, you're so good. Where would we be if it weren't for the cross? Thank you. Amen.